You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. All right, good morning. Good morning. Somebody say fire. Yeah, come on, say it like you mean it. Fire. Yeah, come on. Pentecost is next week, so I'm just warming you up a little bit, all right? Can we, can we live with levels of high expectancy for God? I feel like sometimes we settle into like a normal, just we're doing our thing, we're going to church, we're going to work, we're doing the family thing, and I think sometimes we lose that expectancy for God to show up. How many want God to show up? Yeah. How many of you know that he's drawn to the hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, right? They're going to get filled, right? We see the principle in Scripture. So when we're hungry, when we're expectant for God to do something, God wants to move into that. He wants to show himself good. He wants to show himself great in our lives. So, yeah. So let's do that. Let's just... Everybody say fire. Fire. Put your hand on your heart. Say fire. Fire. Put your hand on your head. Say fire. Fire. Yeah. All right, God. Just get us. Just whack us. Right? Can we just say that? God, I'll take the Holy Ghost whack. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to do something before I get started here. Um, A few weeks back, we had Eddie and Beth Taylor come and minister at the church. You guys remember that, how awesome they are? Well, they're sitting right over here right now with their son, Jonathan. They just moved here. They're living up in Deland, so they're going to be around. um, It's Taylor Ministry Group is the name of the ministry they have, and... Jonathan's a part of that, and a few other people, I think, might be joining in on that. So it's a wonderful thing they've got going. God's moving them into a whole new season after years of being senior leaders in a church. Um, but we get them. <laughs> we get them. They're living down here now. So whenever they're in town, they're going to be here with us. And they're, they're, how do you say this? Just being around them, you can tell when people have deep anchors in God. You know what I'm talking about? They've got deep anchors in God. And so they're really great to be around. So I just want you guys to find them this morning, welcome them, give them a great big kiss. There you go. I think every kiss is holy, isn't it? Though I mean, I don't know. So, so and and for you young adults in here, uh, Jonathan's like a. Uh, I don't know how to describe him. Just be careful. You'll burst into flames when you're around him. That's all I'm saying. He's a good guy to be around. So just welcome them. Just. They've been a part of our, our family, extended family, for some time, and I'm just really happy to have them here with you guys. So bless you guys. So glad to have you here. So, Yeah, Jay kind of uh, set us up a little bit. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about dreams and the need for us to learn how to dream well with God. And it's, it's just so important because God has chosen in his infinite wisdom that blows my mind, but his infinite wisdom, he has chosen to set up this thing called the kingdom so that the glory of God is not just revealed through him alone. He has set it up so it comes through him and the church. And we need people dreaming. We need that. And so, you know, we've been going through some things personally in our own lives that we're going to unpack a little bit later for the church. We've got some great vision uh, that God's given us moving into next year. Um, But for me personally, as we're going through it right now, I'm coming back to a place of looking at what has God put on my life? What am I designed to be? I know that I'm designed to be more than just a senior leader of a church. This is just the avenue, the tool that God has given me. But I know that I'm designed for more. And specifically, um, I, I found myself coming back to when I really met Jesus for the first time at 32 years old. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
like where you heard of Jesus for a long time, and then there's one day where you had the encounter with him, and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's real. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of encounter. When I had that encounter with God, it was one of those things where I felt like him, I heard him, felt him. It was like resonating inside of me. When he would talk, I would hear it. It wasn't just like an audible voice, although sometimes I've heard that. It's that thing where it becomes visceral, where when he's speaking, you feel it. Your whole insides begin to vibrate. You're just like you know God is talking to you. And after my encounter with God that brought me out of years of addiction, I found that he was speaking to me about what my calling is, what my design is. And I discovered that I'm called to the church. Some people are called to missions. Some people are called to other things, and we do those things. But I am called to the church specifically for this one thing, to see the church break free from religious affectations and bondage. Yeah, that's a good word, Andrew. Thank you. I'm glad you do that. I don't think I'm that special, even though I'm God's favorite. But he's just put certain things on me that I know that if I don't walk in them, they probably don't get experienced to their fullness in the body of Christ. It's, same, it's the same with you. And we'll be getting into that in the future as we go into next year and unpacking all that wonderful, amazing stuff. But I wanted to do something. Um, that has been, because of going through this, that just kind of, I got rekindled on the inside. A number of years ago, I did a Wednesday night Bible study called Mythbusters. And I'm going through it again. And you guys, brace yourself. That's all I can say, brace yourself. We're going to take a look at common ideologies, common thinking that runs rampant in the New Testament church, which is a lot of it is really just baggage that's left over from old covenant principles that don't fit on new covenant realities anymore. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not talking about style. I don't care about style. God can show up in the middle of anything. It's not that. I'm talking about mindsets. I'm talking about ideologies. I'm talking about just religious baggage that all of us have at some level. How many in here have religion in them at some level? Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Every, every one of us in here has got it in us at some level. So some of this stuff may be a little shocking. My wife is already like going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, I just found, I, I, I used to apologize about it. I just don't apologize about it anymore. I found that part of what is on me is it's shocking. And I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that, so. You're okay with that too, right? Yeah, okay. If I don't see you next week, I'll know. You just didn't say anything. You just were like, out of here. So, so this week I want to talk. I want to. This is the opening salvo, if you would. I'm going to do all summer long. We're going to be going through this stuff. This is the opening salvo. This is the fire, the shot across the bow this morning, okay? So I want to talk about religion. Specifically, I want to talk about religious infection. Yeah. Yeah, I think all of us have it a little bit. And what I've discovered is that if you, if you even just look at the math of the church, now keep in mind this happened a lot 2,000 years ago, but if you look at the math in the church of how the Bible was written when it was written, it was in Acts chapter 10 that the gospel gets expressed through the Gentiles. You guys remember the story with Peter? Acts chapter 10 is roughly 10 years after Pentecost. So we're talking around... 43, 44 A.D. All right, you guys with me? 
One of the first books of the Bible, there's some controversy on it, um, but most scholars believe that Galatians was the first book that was written to the New Testament church. And it came out in around 48 AD. So if, I just want you to track with me for a moment. If the, the gospel came to the Gentiles, now remember the Gentiles were the ones that had no Jewish customs, right? They didn't understand the Jewish system. They didn't, you know, they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know anything about the rituals. They didn't really know anything about the feast. So they're kind of oblivious to all that. Acts chapter 10 comes along. The gospel gets brought to the Gentiles. The Jews are freaked out about it. I mean, even Peter is like going, what the heck? You guys remember the story? God gives him that vision of the, the, the animals that he tells them to eat. And he says, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And so he's, he's still stuck. Peter's still stuck in the Jewish paradigm. He, the gospel gets brought to the Gentiles some 10 years after Pentecost. And the first book that gets written that Paul writes is to the churches in Galatia. It's a region. And the primary reason for writing this book was because the Judaizers had come back in and said, nope, your Christianity isn't complete unless you come back to the Jewish traditions. You guys tracking with me? So 43, roughly, they get the gospel. 48, this book is written. So in about five short years, what happened to the church that got the gospel was they were being brought back into religious stuff again. I think this is interesting when I look at it, and I don't know if this was God's plan or not, but how it works in my mind, I, I look at it and it's like, I believe this is important for us because I believe for the church, the one thing that we're going to compete against the most is falling back into religious activity. And it's, it's really detrimental to the church because religious activity can satisfy the soul but it never grows us in the spirit. So I want to talk about that this morning. That's part of the religious infection that happens. We can find ourselves doing religious activity, but religious activity never brings us into maturity, and it never really does bring the fullness of the kingdom to the world that needs to see it. I think the church today is suffering, really, at various degrees with religious infection. And I do believe... Honestly, it is probably, for me, the single most, uh, since I want to help wake the church up, single most uh, detrimental things that the church is facing right now. And when I say religion, guys, again, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about style. I am talking about the entrance of humanism into the gospel. What does humanism look like? Humanism is anything where we take the finished work of the cross deny it, step into the place of my own Savior and try to complete my salvation. That's humanism. Humanism, Protagoras said this. You guys like to study history. Protagoras is one of the early Greek philosophers. He said, man is the measure of all things. We have to be careful. Those kinds of ideas have consequences. If man is the measure of all things, now I'm not being conformed into the image of God. He's being conformed into the image of me. And religion has a way of doing that. It has a way of taking what God has designed, what God has accomplished. It takes it out of the hands of God. It mocks the cross, and it says, I'll take it from here. I just don't want us to live like that. I feel like it's really dangerous. I want to see how many, I feel it, it's moving inside of me. I want to see the church become the church. Bill Johnson says that the bride will some, at some point be in direct proportion to the head. The body will be in direct proportion to the head. 
And right now it's kind of weak and anemic. But I don't think it's because there are things we need to do in order to get there. I think we need to get the religious stuff away from us so we can grow up. Ephesians talks about that. That's why we have the ministry of the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, so that we all grow up into him who is the head, right? Good word, Andrew. Yeah. How many want to grow up? How many want to look like and be proportionate to the head who is Jesus? Yeah, me too. But I think there's a, there's a lot of challenge in it, and there's a lot of risk in it. There's a whole lot of risk in it. There is a lot of risk in believing that Jesus Christ has given me, according to his divine power, everything that I need for life and godliness. Now, 2 Peter 1.3 tells me that, okay? That you have been given everything you need for life and for godliness. Now, if you break that down just for a moment, think about it. Everything you need for life, your entire natural living, everything you have been given for life and for godliness has been given to you according to his divine power. That's good news, isn't it? If we're really honest, we don't believe that, do we? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. If we are really talking honestly and we take an honest assessment in our lives, each one of us can look at it and say, I've taken that and I can believe it intellectually. I, I, I committed it to memory, some like, some like intellectual creed. Yes, God has given me. And you have to say it like that. God has given me everything that I need for life and godliness, brother. Sister, I am blessed and highly favored. Get off. You hear what I'm talking about? We can have a mental assent to an intellectual creed, but it does nothing to change the inside. If we're being honest, it's because we simply don't believe it. If he's given me everything that I need for life and for godliness, then I'm going to ask the question here, and it's rhetorical, but where do you go when you're in need? If I've been given everything that I need for life and godliness, then I need to come back to it and go, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That if I've been given everything that I need, first of all, it starts with this person. Colossians says that the entire cosmos, I'm paraphrasing, but the entire cosmos is held together in him. All things made by him, for him, through him, and in him all things exist. The very fact that you can breathe in and out right now is simply because of the person of Jesus. Right? And I, I, this may sound very simplistic. I don't want it to be simplistic. I, I want it to be simple. But we're going to discover that it's in the simplicity of the gospel that oftentimes we take the finished work away from the hands of Jesus. We bring it back onto ourselves because it's way too simple. It's even scandalous and offensive. Religion damages us by putting question marks where God has put exclamation marks. Love you, bro. Religion damages us by putting question marks where God has put exclamation marks. How many times do we read passages where Paul writes and he says, if you have the Spirit, and so we start questioning ourselves if we have the Spirit. When he's saying that, he's going, if you've got the Spirit, like you've got the Spirit, if you just would understand that you really have it. Does this make sense? But we go into a question mark. We go into it like asking, well, I need to check in to see if I have have the Spirit. How are you going to get it? I mean, please tell me, somebody describe to me how I can go get the Spirit. Last I looked, the day of the resurrection, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, Fear not. Dude, just walk through a wall, right? Fear not. 
as the Father has sent me, I send you. Then it says he breathed on them and said, receive Holy Spirit. How did you get Holy Spirit? Does that picture remind you of anything that happened way back in Genesis? When he made man, how did man come alive? God breathed on him. Then we know what happened. The fall, spiritually dead, disconnected from God. Jesus shows up on the scene, brings right restoration back to humanity and says, receive Holy Spirit. Did Adam have any choice in coming alive? But I got to get the Spirit. I'm telling you, you got it. The very fact that you want it tells me that you have it. Just a thought. Are you saved and secure? Are you completely forgiven and unconditionally loved? You know, every, we're, in, we're in church Sunday, so everybody's going to say yes to that. I want to know if you really think like that on Monday. Are you eternally secure? Are you unconditionally loved? Because it's easy to answer the question in a room like this on a Sunday morning. It's harder to answer that question on Monday when your boss just... Or you just found out your car broke, and that's going to cost $2,500, or whatever the case may be. It's, you hear what I'm saying, right? But what if you sin? What if I fall away? At some point, we're going to have to... I'm not condoning sin. Please do not misunderstand me. Everybody hear me on the podcast? I am not condoning sin. It's so funny how our mind wants to go there. But it's Jesus holding us in his hand, and he says, no one can take me out of that. No one can take you out of that, right? At what point do we trust him? At what point do we come back to it, even in the middle of when we've fallen away, even if we have sinned, just recognize your sin does not make God run from you. This, this helped me, this picture I had years ago, years and years ago, when I was getting clean of all that addiction and just walked out of that stuff. It was amazing. I saw it completely different. I used to think that whenever I was sinning, that God would go, ooh, yikes. Come on, is anybody be honest? Do you think like that? You know, the reality is whenever we're sinning, he's sitting right there with us. He's got his arm around us, and he's just going, hey, listen, hey, if you just pay attention here, just look at me. Look at me. Everything he needs right here. Everything he needs right here. It doesn't scare him. Is that, that's what I'm saying. Sin does not scare Jesus. For some reason, we even have a, ooh, feel a bunny path coming on. <sighs> control, self-control. I have the spirit inside of me, self-control. <laughs> I controlled myself. Good. Okay. <laughs> I did it. What I'm saying is that there's an, there's an ideology in the church where we think that somehow God can have nothing to do with sin. But if we really read 2 Corinthians accurately, he who knew no sin became sin. I don't think he's scared of it. He who knew no sin became sin. And in case you want to just say, well, that was just Jesus and God had to look away, that's, that's not accurate. Read all of Psalm 22, not just the first part of it. God didn't look away because it goes on to say God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Is this helping you guys this morning? There, there are these, these little bitty things like this that we think sometimes that we, we, we think God's way over there or God's got to turn away. I just really messed up yesterday, boy. He's like, I got to go find him now because he's hiding from me. Go back to the garden. Who was the one that ran? Who was the one that hid? It wasn't God. He's, he's right there the whole time. And he's just saying, if you look at me, just talk to me. I'm right here. I'm right here. He is absolutely for you. I want you to say this with me. God is for me. He's not against me. 
Now, I want you to really say it and think about what you're saying. Put your hand on your heart. God is for me. God is not against me. Yeah, come on, doesn't that feel good? I think part of the challenge we face, especially in today's culture, is that if we really preach the gospel, and what's the definition of gospel? Somebody? Good news. Good news. We, we have turned, the Western church has turned the gospel not into good news. We've turned it into potential good news. Well, if you'll do this, then God will do this. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh-uh. There's that religious infection. God didn't need your permission to do anything. He did it. The good news is about what Jesus has done. The challenge we face is, is, can I really believe it? Can I really believe that? Did you know in a new covenant reality that condemnation no longer comes from God? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? How many are in Christ? Come on, just doing a little test here. Half of you don't know it yet. You'll get there. How many of you are in Christ? Right, if you're in Christ, then there's no, con there's no more condemnation. You know where condemnation comes from now? And how, well, let me ask you this question first. How many people sometimes feel condemnation, if you're honest? I'll put both hands and both feet in here. I'll fall if I try, but I feel it sometimes, but I've discovered something that if condemnation does not come from God, and it's not for those who are in Christ, and I'm in Christ, then I have to ask the question, where is it coming from? John 3.18 tells me where it's come from. We love, we love John 3.16. John 3.18 says, He who does not believe is condemned already. So where does the condemnation come from? It comes from places I'm not believing the gospel. What do I need to combat condemnation? I need to come back to the truth and say, I'm going to choose to believe that. Come on, is this helpful this morning? Because we get into places of condemnation and we think that somehow we've got to move into the religious infection stuff where we've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I don't know, I've got to pray more. I've got to fast more. I've got to read my Bible more. Are those things great? Yes. Don't ever stop doing those. Everybody heard me on that, correct? Good. I know I'm running the risk here by, by stepping into this stuff here, but I told you, I'm, I'm warning you. I just, I want to shock us a little bit. We've turned the church into where people stand up and pontificate about something, and everybody sitting out there just goes, oh, okay. Have a think. Have your own thought. I hope this challenge you as we're going through this this summer. I want to challenge you. I want to offend you. Mm. What? It got really quiet in here. I am going to say this. I do believe, I really do believe this, church, that for the believer, we shouldn't be offended at anything. And if we get offended at something, it is not about the person who did the offending. It's about a deficit that's being unpacked inside of us. It's about a deficit inside of us. If I get offended at anything, it's because there's a weak point inside that just hasn't been healed, that hasn't been dealt with yet. I just don't believe. Somebody could walk in this room and begin to curse out my Savior and call him whatever. He's a big boy. I don't need to be offended for him. He knows who he is. I know who I am. You guys tracking with me this morning? Okay. All right. We've, we've bought this thing where we think that the gospel is no longer the gospel. It's just the potential gospel. 
And this is what Paul was getting in trouble for. I'm going to read out of Galatians here in a moment. But this is what Paul was getting in trouble for. He comes on the scene and he says, these Judaizers, these ones who come in and have bewitched you. What the heck is going on? You found him by the Spirit. Now you think you're going to complete it in the flesh? What is wrong with you guys? And he's coming along preaching this gospel, and all the Judaizers are really mad because they don't like gospel. They like potential gospel. They like the gospel being held up by my humanistic efforts, not by Jesus himself. The cross changed everything. The cross changed everything. I want to read Galatians to you here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10 says this. I'm shocked. I'm reading out a passion translation here. He says, I'm shocked at how, over how quickly you've strayed away from the anointed one who called you to himself by his loving mercy. I'm frankly astounded you now embrace a distorted gospel. That's fake. Fake gospel. This is simply not true. There is only one gospel, the gospel of the Messiah. Yet you have allowed those who mingle law with grace to confuse you with lies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just remember, reminded of something. This is just my dad. When I was younger, he was t training me how to change the oil in the car. And my dad's like one of these kinds of guys. He's, he's just like, he can't talk about something and kind of joke about it. If he says it, son, you really need to know this. Like, it's like intense. It's like he's like really like you need to know this. And when you talk to my dad, you kind of get that vibe from him. He doesn't mean to be mean or anything like that. He's just real like, this is right. So he's teaching me how to change the oil in the car. And I'm thinking, well, let's just drain the oil out of it and put some new oil in it. And he goes, son, no, no, no. You have to change the filter with the oil. And he asked me this question. He says, you know what happens if you mix? Because the oil filters on those older cars would hold about a quart of oil. And there's five quarts in a car, generally. And he said, you know what happens if you leave that in there, that quart that's in that old bad filter, and you put four quarts of new oil in there? You know what you get? You get five quarts of bad oil. It's like that with religion. Just the little bit comes in. Why does he say, listen, you want to keep just a little bit of the law? Go ahead and keep the whole thing. You have to. There's no mixing of this. It doesn't work. If you want to keep just a little bit of the law, forget the grace gospel message. Go back to living in the law. You have to because you can't mix the two. You get four quarts of clean oil, mix it with one quart of bad oil. What do you have? Five quarts of bad oil. It's like that with the gospel. You mix it. It's not going to work. Verse 8, eight. Anyone who comes to you with a different message than the grace gospel that you have received will have the curse of God come upon them. Ooh. What does that tell you guys? That the curse isn't found in new covenant realities. It's found in old covenant living. Because what were they bringing back in? He says, anybody brings another gospel, he's not talking about a rant. He's talking about the Judaizers. He's saying, you're bringing back in the Jewish, Jewish traditions again. And the minute you bring back that, you're cursed. Jesus Christ has set us free, right? I like to look at it like this. In the country called law, I was set free. I was liberated from the country called law, the law of sin and death. I was liberated from that country, and I was brought into a whole new country. It's called the law of life. It's the law of liberty. If I want to live in the law of liberty, then I cannot go back to living in that, that country anymore. The minute I go back to living in that country, I'm a wanted man. I have been extradited. 
I have been brought out. I have been set. Does this picture help at all? You've been brought into a completely new country. And the minute we say, I want to go live back by anything that has to reflect the law again, I'm back in a country where as soon as I step foot in that country, I'm wanted. And I got to run. And I got to hide. Good word, Andrew. <laughs> Verse 9. I will make it clear. Anyone, no matter who they are, that brings you a different gospel than the grace gospel that you have received. Let them be condemned and cursed. I'm obviously not trying to flatter you or water down my message to be popular with men. Isn't that something? Yes. I'm not trying to water down my words to be popular with men. You get what he's saying. He's intimating here. He's going, if I were to try to mix law in with any of this gospel stuff, that's me trying to please men. It's really weird in the church now. It's like that's flipped. That now if you start preaching the true gospel, you're called a man pleaser. That's how scandalous the gospel is. That it's absolutely good news. For if all I attempt to do is please people, I would not be the true servant of the Messiah. I think Paul saw this as a pretty serious issue, just the way he's talking here. They had started in a revelation of Christ's cross, but reverted, reverted back to formulas and human effort to further their relationship with him. It's the same principle that says, Jesus saved me, now it's up to me to improve my own spirituality. It's ridiculous. It reduces the cross of Christ to initiation rite, kind of like kindergarten, like we move on from it and mature, when the cross is everything. Looking at the cross as an entry point into Christianity is the most dangerous of lies. It's not just the entry point. It's the destination. It's the, it's the cross, the crux of history. Everything right there happens in a moment, and we want to move on from it. We think that somehow the cross is just, what do you think Paul said that I've determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified? Everything about new covenant realities comes back to that one thing right there. So I want to talk about a couple of things here. There's two types of religious infection. You guys ready to take some notes? Two types of religious infection. First of all is the non-charismatic one. Okay? There's a lot, but I want to talk about this one, the non-charismatic infection. Ooh, people are getting offended already. Non-charismatic religious infection. Emphasis is I need to get my own character into alignment and learn more about God and serve. I need to get my own character into alignment. When he says, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And then character's down the line. Why is that? Because character's not the main thing. Faith is. That when we start to walk in faith, that true, honest, godly, kingdom character is not something that you can conjure up. Anybody have fruit trees in your yard? I know we're, we're kind of like, I've got a few fruit trees in my yard. I, I, I like to look at it like this. Because, I mean, even we're told to bear fruit. And even Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. How many fruit trees have you ever seen out there in the yard going, pop, fruit? <laughs> You're right. Why do, why do fruit trees produce fruit? It's who they are. It's what they are. It's what they do. They don't strive to produce fruit. It's the same thing. The minute I start striving to produce godly character, I've missed the whole thing of who I am and who he is in me. When I start coming back to that and living from faith to virtue, 
to knowledge, all that stuff, the experience in God, the fruit that I want, the character that I want starts to come out of it. This is part of this religious infection that happens in the non-charismatic church. Don't, don't worry, charismatics. We're going to hit you hard, really, really hard here in a minute. The non-charismatic emphasis is I need to build my character. I need to learn more. I need to go to a Bible study, a prayer meeting. I need to fast. I need to pray. All those things are wonderful. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying just be careful. We don't lead with that. That is not the sum total of your Christianity. The sum total of your Christianity starts at the cross, and it stays at the cross. Jesus said he's the door, right? But he's not the doorway into something where you didn't be mature. He's the doorway and the destination all in one. You find him, you find everything. Here's one, another type of religious infection for the charismatics. You ready? That's us, right? We're Pentecostals, we're charismatics, charismatics. we like the things of God. I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church. I really did think this growing up, that simply because I could speak in tongues and I believed in healing, that I believed in prophecy, that somehow I was better off and not religious like the other non-charismatics. I think the charismatics have the bigger issue, honestly. I really do. We have the things of the Spirit, but we can even turn that into some kind of, I don't know what you call it pat ourselves on the back, call ourselves masters of the universe because I can prophesy, because I can heal, because I can pray in tongues. Right? With charismatics, the focus is on self-effort to get more of Holy Spirit or to work better and more fantastic miracles. Mm -hmm. It refers to the cross as a starting point. I'm just going into deeper things in God. How do you get any deeper with your Siamese twin? You can shed things that you have, but you can't get any closer to him. You hear what I'm saying? I can't get any closer, but I can shed the things that keep my mind from really engaging in who he really is and what I fully have. Because we said that already at the beginning. The second Peter 1.3 says that you have been given everything you need for life and for godliness. According to his divine power, you have it. If you're not walking in it, it's not because you need to go get more. It's probably because we need to pause and think and ask ourselves, what kind of religious infection is inside of me? What kind of stuff am I believing that's keeping me from simply accessing what's right there? It's like somebody coming and saying, I just, Jay, I just put three, $3 million in your checking account. And you're like, yeah, man, I believe that. And then he goes to work to try to earn it. Hmm. Being charismatic does not protect us from religious infection. The Pharisees, did you know that? The Pharisees believed in the supernatural. They did. The Pharisees believed in the supernatural. But believing in the supernatural without understanding grace doesn't make you supernatural. It makes you superstitious. Believing in the supernatural without understanding grace doesn't make you supernatural. It makes you superstitious. Hmm. When the cross ceases to be the focal point, the staying point, the only point, religious infection is going to happen. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? We, it's, it's this thing where we ha- we're designed to live in this kingdom tension. We're designed to live in it. it and I believe the reason why God has set it up that way is because our human intellect can't grasp it. And I think that's God's intention. If I grasp the things about God, 
and think that I've got it, immediately what I'm saying is, I've got it, I don't need you. But the reality is the only way I've got it is because he's living and breathing and he's right there with me. The minute I move my eyes off of that, I don't got it anymore. Is this helping? It's, it's a li- the word of God, it's living, it's active. You can't just comprehend it with your mind and say, I got it, and then go preach it or go talk to somebody. It doesn't work like that. It's living, it's active. The only way it's truly effective, the only way that we can really make a difference in the kingdom of God is if we're living in that constant awareness that the cross is the entry, it's the standing, staying, ongoing, living point. And I can't get my eyes off of this. I cannot get my eyes off of the cross because the minute I decide to do that and think that I've got something, I'm talking out of intellect and I'm not really imparting anymore. I'm just giving information. We don't need any more information, right? The church is educated beyond its obedience. We don't need any more education. We need impartation. We need this settling in. We need the gospel to do what the gospel does. The pure gospel that when it's preached, it quickens the spirit on the inside. People start to come alive. I know this happens. I'm hoping it's happening right now. What I want to happen is for the things that I'm saying to go into your ears to where you will come to me and say, man, I can't believe this. That was so good what you said. And then you tell me what you heard and it was nothing about what I said. You preachers in here, you ever had that happen? Somebody tells you that. They're like, yeah, man, that was so good what you said. And I'm going, I never said that. But I celebrate it because somehow Holy Spirit's taking the gospel message and making it work inside in a way that you understand it and that it means something to you, that it's moving you. This is the design of the gospel. It's not about principles to live by. It's about a presence to live with. Mm. Yeah. What time is it? How are we doing here? I'm going to read Galatians 3, verse 2 and 5 to you out of the Phillips translation. I don't know about you guys. It's good to have multiple translations. I, have, I think I've said this before. I have a New Testament that is 26 translations in one. It's good to have that. If you're reading one translation, you're reading one man's theology. You need multiple because the word can't be directly translated like that. We need takes. We need cultural. We need all that stuff. We need all that to happen. He says this, Galatians 3, 2 through 5, Philip's translation says, I shall ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it of you. Does God, who gives you his spirit and works miracles among you, do these things because you've obeyed the law or because you have believed the gospel? Ask yourselves that. Come on, that's harsh, right? I love that. I love the way he's saying that. It jars me. It makes me think I have to stop and ask the question. I have to go back to it and go, is there some kind of religious infection going on inside of me? Is there some kind of place where I've I've been infected and you guys know what infection is? It's when a foreign substance comes into your body and it starts wreaking havoc. And what does it affect? Your health. It's the same thing with religion. That's why I call it a religious infection. It gets into us and it begins to affect our health. Why is it? Just a question. Why is it that a bulk of Christianity is walking around so sad and sober? When Jesus says, I give you these things, I see these things, that their joy might be full. Where is that? Where is the ecstatic joy that comes from heaven? Why aren't Christians living in it? Why are we not? I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying right here. 
Where is it? I have to ask the question and go, what happened? What's going on inside of me? There must be something I'm not believing or something that I'm believing that's a lie. I'm going to give you two other things here, and then I'm going to wrap up. Two types of mindsets. I'm giving you things, these things to hope, hopefully it'll kind of help a little bit, especially when we're reading scripture. There's two types of mindsets. First one is the Eastern mindset. The Eastern, which is the Hebraic mindset. This is the original Jewish Hebraic mindset, okay? But keep in mind, there's issues with that. Eastern mindset, it values the supernatural. It values experience, manifestations. How many like that? It's not bad to like it. Come on, how many like that? You like manifestations. You like the supernatural. You like all this kind of... I do too. I love it. The Jews, they hated the gospel because it took away the ability to access the supernatural by laws and rituals. We can be so madly in love with the supernatural, but we have to be careful. It's not attached to the law. And the Jews hated it for that reason. Even though they were all about experience, they hated it because now something's happening and the true gospel is people who can experience the supernatural and the miraculous and they're not doing it through religious rituals anymore. The Jews hated that. Here's the other mindset, the Western mindset. Western mindset is rationalistic. It's reason-based. It's intellect-oriented. The Greeks were not moved by miracles. They were moved, moved by philosophy. I taught philosophy in high school for a little while. Anybody know what philosophy means? The words? What's it? Full of something. Full of something. <laughs> philosophy. Your philosophy. <laughs> it just sounded like I'm drunk when I said that. Your philosophy. <laughs> Philo, meaning love. Sophie, meaning wisdom. Philosophy means the love of wisdom. That's your name. Sophie, it means, it means the love of wisdom. That's what the Greeks loved. They loved intellect. They loved things they could grasp with their mind. They loved wisdom. They would just search out for wisdom, search out for wisdom. How many know that the wisdom of God is higher than the wisdom of man? And any time we think we've got the wisdom of man down to this level, right, or wisdom of God down to the level of the wisdom of man, we've radically distorted it. The true gospel does not allow the Eastern mind to trust miracles, nor the Western mind to trust intellect. It is an equal opportunity offender. The true gospel is an equal opportunity offender. It's going to offend the feelers like me, who are real prophetic, who see things, they feel things, they just feel temperatures in rooms, all that kind of, Anybody else like that? You're just real prophetic in that sense. You can feel, see, just all that kind of stuff. And then you got the real intellectual, like, well, it's got to look like this and this and this and this. What do we need? We need both of them, don't we? But the reality is the gospel can't be reduced down to that. They're important, and we need it. We need intellect. We need um, apologetics in the body of Christ. We need it. But it's not going to bring the kingdom in its fullness. We need the supernatural. We need all of that working together. The true gospel doesn't allow the Eastern mindset or the Western mindset just to trust in themselves. One last passage of scripture here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This comes from the JWC Juan translation. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 25 says this. When in the wisdom of God, the world was allowed to fail in its effort to comprehend him by the use of its own wisdom, he arranged for the salvation of believers through the stupidity of plain and simple preaching. So while the Jews ask for a sign, the Greeks look for philosophy. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and stupidity to the Greeks. 
but to the elect Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's stupid cross reveals a greater wisdom than that of men and his weakness a greater strength than theirs. That's good. That's good stuff. To the intellectual, the cross is stupid. To the charismatic, it's a scandal. We're going to get into that a little bit more, church, as we move into the summer. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about things that I see run rampant in the charismatic church. I, I've just decided it's no longer the charismatic church. It's the crazymatic church. We just done gone back crazy. The true gospel discredits everything I can learn and everything I have done to be more spiritual. It discredits it all. It says it's not worth anything. What does Paul say? All the things that I could have accomplished, all the things that I've done, my life, circumcised on the eighth day, born of the tribe of Benjamin, memorized the first five books of the Bible. It was normal. According to righteousness by the law, perfect. And he looks at it and goes, it's all poop. That's what he said. Our religious Bibles like to dumb that down. That's what, what he said. It's like poop. What am I saying here, church? I want to say this one thing. If there's one takeaway we can take right here, there's two things, really. Uh, just, just check ourselves. See if there's any kind of religious infection. Start asking Holy Spirit to reveal places inside of me that I'm not. I'm, I'm not trying to root out religion as much as I am wanting people to find their true identity and who Jesus is. Religion is what keeps us from that. I'm not on a religious hunt. I'm just saying these are the things that I don't think that we look at quite often. We don't know that we're unhealthy in certain areas because we're infected. Start asking the question, Holy Spirit, where am I looking at you? Where am I looking at the cross? Where am I looking at Jesus in a way that's inconsistent with what you have revealed through New, new Covenant theology? Ask yourself that question right here. And here's the other thing. Let's get the idea of balance and throw it out the window. Well, there's a balance, brother. You've got to have the intellect and you've got to have the spiritual. Mm -mm. We need to blow that out of the water. We need to blow that box up. There is no balance. Everything I see about the gospel is extreme in nature. It's extreme. Now, I'm not talking about going out and being a stupid fanatic. Because zeal without knowledge is really bad. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, let's just ask ourselves... Am I relying too much on trying to find a balance in life? There is no balance in life. It's either all in or not. It's all in or it's not. I believe it's good for us to understand that because of the finished work of the cross that Jesus has brought us fully into him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. I can't do anything about that. I can't make myself live there. He's done it. And if I don't feel like I'm fully accessing that, if I'm not fully understanding it, if it's not fully being represented in my life, it's not because I haven't completed a journey yet. It's because I have, still have blinders on. I still got religious infection that's not allowing me to see accurately. And I want to see accurately. Everybody stand up with me here. Is that helpful this morning? All right. I Yeah, this is going to be good. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> My challenge is not, can I not do it? My challenge is, can I do it without making you guys feel like you're leaving here where you just got hosed down with a fire hose? I, I want it to be tangible. I want it to be something you can grab. So hold your hands out here. 
And we'll just pray, Holy Spirit, we, we need you to do the thing that you do. And no, no man can do this. It's, it's impossible. No man can do this. No man can make somebody connect with you. It's only through you, Holy Spirit. You're the one that comes along and guides us into all truth. You're the one that shows us things to come, reminds us of the words that you've spoken. So, Holy Spirit, I, I don't think for a moment that any of it can happen by what I'm speaking. I do believe, though, but I, that we can impart something. I do believe that we can cause a shift in our thinking. Lord, so I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, that you start to visit us. Visit us right where we're at right now in this moment. Visit us in the car. Visit us on our way to lunch. Visit us in the shower. Visit us when we wake up in the morning. Visit us with dreams in the middle of the night. Lord, I pray that these things become so real and so tangible that we no longer call the supernatural supernatural. We start to call it natural. We don't live in two compartments with two categories of natural and supernatural. We start to live like you live. One category, natural. And it's all included in it. So, Lord, just wake us up to this thing. Lord, I want to be a church that looks like you. I want to be a church that represents you well. And I know it can't happen if I got infection. So just come heal us. Come fix us. Come show us in your kindness and your goodness that leads to repentance. Come show us that stuff in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, ministry teams, make your way up here if you would. If you guys need prayer for anything, you need healing, just need somebody to agree with you, these are why these guys are here, and they're bosses. So if you need anything at all, just come see him. And the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen? Amen. Amen. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.